This episode is brought to you by Skysilk. If you're looking for an affordable and reliable cloud provider for your website, Skysilk is the answer for you. The intuitive dashboard interface allows you to quickly deploy one of the many built-in templates in just a few clicks, or directly upload your custom ISO. It doesn't matter if you're a senior developer with hundreds of websites or a student looking to experiment with your first cloud server, Skysail can accommodate all your needs with powerful machines starting at just $5 per month. SkySilk also comes with many other perks, like a convenient reward system where you can redeem SkyPoints to pay for your VPS, a never-growing Discord community, and lightning-fast customer support. Click the link in the description below and use the promo code ALICATSKYSILK to get 25% off of your personal cloud VPS. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity, where we talk about design, development, and all the other crazy stuff we find online. I'm your host, Alex, and with me, as usual, my beautiful co-host, Chris Perko. Hello, Chris. Hello. Hey. <laughs> we're back, finally. Oh, yeah, we're alive. We are super excited to be back. It's been probably a year since the last episodes, but hey. It's we've been a been, long time. Yeah. yeah, we've been busy with stuff and life. And uh, how's it going with you? How's it going with, with your work? Um, it's been good. It's been uh, really busy. Um, I think that with everything being shut down, we're actually more busy than we were before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel, um, yeah. you know, we work in the, in the medical space. So, um, we're finally launching our product and all the clinics that are wanting to use it are all about to reopen. So it's kind of a, mm. it's been a busy time. How's and, everything been at, uh, Mozilla? Oh, crazy as well. Of course, because yeah, with everything that's going on now, all the people that used to have a, like a tech support at their offices or like a sysadmin managing their email clients, their IMAP has like all the protocols for them and the exchange server at work. Now they all downloaded Thunderbird at home and all the problems that came out with that. Uh, it's yeah, it, it, it was, it's been a beautiful couple of months, <laughs> very challenging. And we are in the process of releasing another, the next long-term support release, uh, which is going to be 78. And we're doing a lot of very important, substantial updates. Like we're implementing the open PGP protocol for encryption of emails. We're, uh, restructuring the calendar. I'm updating the UI a lot, like doing drastic changes. So it's been a yeah, a couple of crazy months, but nothing to complain. It could be worse. So it's challenging yeah. and satisfying. Uh, what's your nice. role? I don't remember anymore about the things <laughs> that you do. What uh, what's your role? What do you do? What type of technologies do you use at the university? Um, yeah. So uh, my my title is lead software engineer, um, which is kind of a, a funny title because I don't actually have a team. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's really me. The only people that I work with uh, that work for the university is myself and um, a QA engineer who um, she is great at testing. She finds the tiniest things and drives me crazy, but without her, I wouldn't have the, uh, the confidence that I do in the app. Um, <laughs> And we have one other developer that's a consultant that works outside the university and we work closely together, but, um, but yeah, so my title is kind of, kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so we work mostly with .NET core and angular on the front end. Um, we work with AWS a lot. Um, and that's kind of the, the core of our application that we're building right now. Um, but I'm looking to transition sometime probably fairly soon. Um, there's another team that's working on some AI stuff, Ooh. um, some machine learning and, uh, I've never worked in that. So it'll be kind of a interesting, cool new venture. Yeah. Are you still working or at least on your, as side projects, like using Laravel at all, or just now you're back to .NET full time? I haven't touched Laravel in a long time. Yeah. Um, I do have one side project that I've worked on for a client of mine mm -hmm. um, and I kind of maintain it, but that's been kind of put on hold because he is a, um, like a structural engineer down mm -hmm. in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And with all the, the things that they've had over the last year or two with hurricanes and yeah. earthquakes and everything, he's been too busy to kind of focus on his side projects. So, yeah. Um, definitely planning to go back to it at some point, but 
for right now, I've uh, not been touching Laravel. Yeah, me neither. And I just noticed the other day, I was curious, like, which version is Laravel right now? It's version mm -hmm. 7. It's the last time I used it was a year ago, and it was a version 5.1, 5.2. Mm -hmm. And in in a year, it just jumped to version seven. It's just yeah, the amount of updates and and changes, it's kind of crazy. It's hard to keep up. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm I'm thinking to jump back on the series of tutorial and pick it up again at least for a personal project because right now mm -hmm. I don't have any work related things that involve the use of uh, the PHP framework. So yeah, it's uh, I yeah. haven't been using it in more than a year now as well. But I'm curious to see all the updates. Yeah. Um, moving on, let's talk about some personal hi highlight and some personal projects related sure. to work or side projects. Um, just one thing related to Thunderbird that I wanted to highlight is that we're doing a virtual summit. We were supposed to do a summit in Barcelona right at this time, but of course, with everything that happened, it was canceled, but we decided to do it virtually and, uh, um, release and do just some live streaming, live presentations once a week or twice a week, just to span it throughout a month or two, not to cramp an entire week with just a virtual summit presentation that would have been pretty crazy. And I did my first presentation last week. I talked about the current status of the UI of Thunderbird and the, the work that we're doing as designers and developers to update the UI and why we're changing things. Because since I started working at Thunderbird, the main complaint that I get, and sometimes I even get direct emails where I get insulted because they think I don't know anything and I'm just a stupid kid, <laughs> uh, which is great because I'm 35. I love being called a kid still, but it's fine. Right. But I have main... seen some of your tweets on your, uh, your yeah. responses. It's been... <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so entertaining working for this open source project. But the main complaint that I get is, or the main question is, why are you changing things? So in these presentations, I'm explaining why the technology underneath Thunderbird is changing. We cannot support the mm -hmm. things that we were supporting before. Uh, we cannot expect, even in terms of UI, before the simple example that I give, uh, up until like, 10 years ago, Thunderbird had these very polished UI for the three platforms, for macOS, Linux, and Windows. And each of these platforms had their own preset type of icons. We had one single type of icons, one for macOS, one for Windows, and one for Linux. Today, it's super, it's basically impossible because the icons, some users still use Windows 7 or some users still use the 3264-bit of, of uh, Windows. Some users uh, have the new Windows 10 UI. Uh, Mac OS, every time they release a new version, the icons and the UI change drastically. Let's not talk about Linux because every desktop or uh, desktop environment, they come with the their own icon set. So creating a set of icon that looks native in every scenario, it's impossible. That's why we're transitioning yeah. to SVG icons, line icons that are easier and they're globally uh, usable. It's easier for mm -hmm. us to manage, but you wouldn't believe how people are so pissed about this change yeah. that <laughs> upset beyond understanding. I'm trying to ask them like, why you're so upset? And because it looks awful, because I, and it's beautiful when I receive messages from users that they say that the peak of Thunderbird UI was during Windows XP. And <laughs> I just, okay, <laughs> so there's nothing to talk about that. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I'm going to share the link, the link in the description of these of this uh, episode. But if you want to join and check the virtual summit, I'm going to have another presentation later next week where I talk about the importance awesome. of white spaces and why separations of, of elements and text is important for readability and accessibility. But yeah, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be interesting. Cool. Uh, so how was it presenting at a at a summit like this uh it's it was okay it was like doing a live streaming because it was in front of a computer so uh it wasn't much of 
a difference. I would have preferred to do it in front of a big audience because I, I never I never did a presentation in front of a, on a stage with a big audience. The maximum amount of people that I presented to were probably like a hundred or something. So okay. I was very excited about the real summit. But yeah, no, this presentation was good and I had good questions and mm-hmm. it seems to seems that a lot of people that they had doubts on my proposed changes in terms of UI at the end of the presentation understood and started to understanding the reasoning, the technical reasons and all the motivations behind those changes. So it was it was very productive. I liked it. It should be actually on YouTube later next week because it was recorded. So I'm going to reshare okay. it and everyone can watch my beautiful, beautiful nice. presentation. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, what about you? I'm reading here the NG Conference 2020. What is that? Yeah, so that is uh, like the big Angular conference. And I've wanted to go for a long time, but it's it's kind of hard to uh, get your company to pay for you to go to a conference that is specific to only one technology, especially when you use, you know, like millions of different technologies every day. Yeah. Um, but this year, um, because of the virus and everything, yeah. it was virtual and they slashed the prices. So registration was like $250. Mm. Um, so I'm like, hey, I don't need to fly to Salt Lake City. I don't have to pay for a hotel or yeah. food or anything. Uh, so took a couple of days and just streamed the conference on my couch with my dogs. And um, <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. Um, the community was awesome. You know, there was a live chat with all the presentations and everybody was very, you know, um, constructive and there wasn't anybody like, getting banned all the time oh, <laughs> you no. see like on YouTube or anything. Yeah. Um, so overall it was a really good uh, virtual conference. Um, mm-hmm. I learned a lot about some different parts of Angular that I've never used. Like they're, um, they, they have the ability to, if you want to make like a true static site where everything's just a bunch of HTML files, mm-hmm. you can have it automatically gender, uh, generate all these different HTML files and then mm-hmm. just upload them all to S3. And it's not even a spot at that point. It really is just kind of like an, old style, like click through different pages and it, you know, generates it all for you. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So it was, it was a pretty cool conference. There were some talks that I wasn't able to, to watch and I've uh, been meaning to watch the recordings, but uh, still had to do some work things at the same time. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool conference and I'm hoping next year to attend in, in person if, mm. if we are doing that then. Yeah. Um, but if not, I think virtual conferences are a great way to, um, you know, to include people that couldn't afford to travel to conferences before, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great way to kind of include a lot of people. And, uh, and also it makes it more international. It's, you know, it costs a lot of money to fly around the world to yeah. go to a conference and now you can just log in and, and stream it. Yeah. It's definitely more accessible in this way. I wonder if in the future they will do like both that you, if you want to mm-hmm. virtually attend, you can, and you can just watch some of those presentation but if you want to stay and attend in person you can pay more and go there because that will kind of remove the ex- exclusivity of this conference yeah but yeah. at least it's it's more accessible for a lot of people sure and i mean you guess you miss out on some of like the social things oh like, yeah you know going and drinking beer with with you know some of these speakers and everything yeah. but i mean it was great. I, I didn't have to leave home or anything. Yeah. And did you miss all the t-shirts and stickers and <laughs> USB keys and all the other things yes. that you get? Oh, yeah. I know. Like, the, I think the last tech conference I went to was um, Laracon in Chicago a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And the, the amount of swag that I came home with was ridiculous. Like, I still have, like, five different t-shirts that I, I wear regularly from oh, nice. different vendors and stuff, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's why you go there to redo your wardrobe to update yeah, your exactly. style. <laughs> that's yeah. the main purpose. Yeah. Have old clothes, go to a conference. Exactly. Um, what's the current status of Angular? Because I stopped using Angular mm-hmm. probably like four or five years ago. Um, you you said you use it like daily for your work now for the front mm-hmm. end. What's what's the current status of Angular compare, especially because you use also Vue.js and React, if I'm not wrong? Yeah, so my React experience is very limited. I've gone through some tutorials here mm. and there, but I just can't get over um, JSX. Oh my I God. just hate that syntax. Yeah. Um, so Angular to me, it's very opinionated. It's extremely opinionated. You kind of have to do it the way 
that it's meant to be done. You know, I feel like React and, and Vue to some extent, you can kind of just kind of hack it. It's a lot of just, you know, just playing JavaScript with some stuff on top of it. Hmm. Um, Angular is extremely opinionated, which I actually like because I can grab a open source Angular project and know exactly where everything's at and kind of figure out how it how it flows. Oh. Um, but yeah, we're on version nine now. They just released uh, version nine, which has the new Ivy compiler. Um, and it's it compiles your code a whole lot faster. The mm-hmm. bundle size is a lot smaller, which uh, is, it's really cool. <laughs> Interesting. Would you, if if you had to start a project from scratch, like a mm-hmm. personal project, would you go with Vue.js or Angular? Which one would you prefer? I would go with Angular. Um, oh, I'm really enjoying it right now. Um, one thing that worries me about Vue is Vue 1 to Vue 2 was like major change. Yeah. And I've kind of been out of the Vue game for a little bit, but I understand that Vue 3 is also going to be like a whole nother huge change. Yeah. So it kind of scares me to build something in an ecosystem that could completely change so much that you're going to have to rewrite the app or Mm -hmm. just kind of stick to deprecated code. Mm -hmm. Um, Angular has been surprisingly very uh, consistent in their updates. Yeah. Um, When I started at Emory, I believe we were on Angular 6. And so I did the upgrades to 7 to 8 and then most recently to 9. And they've all been very easy, like half an hour to an hour. Mm. Um, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty easy to figure out what's deprecated and fix things. And um, so that's what just kind of scares me about Vue. Yeah. I think it's uh, it's common for a new or like a young type of framework because I remember Angular from version 1 to version 2 and then yeah. subsequential <laughs> from 2 to 3 was a complete rework. It wasn't even yeah. upgradable. You had to restart from scratch. And there are a lot of, unfortunately, I know a lot of people are still stuck on Angular 1.6 something because it's the mm-hmm. least, like is the latest supported release of Angular 1. They cannot upgrade unless they rebuild everything from scratch. And probably Vue is the same. Also React, if I'm not wrong, at the beginning it was completely different and it was reworked a lot, especially the routers part. Uh, so I I wonder if Vue.js after this next big release is going to stabilize a little bit and, and do some more conscious uh, updates without rebuilding the framework completely from scratch or rethinking about the architecture for every new release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Because I, I do really like Vue. I, li- I like the way it's written. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of Angular in a way where, you know, everything's yeah. separated still with your JavaScript and your HTML and mm-hmm. um yeah, and it, I feel like it's really an easy framework to kind of pick up and run with. Yeah, yeah, um, indeed. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. I was curious. I thought Angular was kind of like dead. Instead, it seems that it's <laughs> still strong. It's very popular in enterprise, yeah. like big enterprise applications. And I think because TypeScript is kind of a, a first-class citizen, mm-hmm. um, it works really well with .NET, which is, of course, you know, big enterprise and... Um, so I think it's, a, you don't see it a whole lot in the open source or like Twitter, like everybody's talking about, you know, react to this, react to that. Yeah. Um, but if you, if you start looking at jobs at like bigger companies, like it's a lot of it is angular. Interesting. Okay. I will keep an eye open for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, on a personal note in a couple of weeks is going to be my birthday. I'm going to turn 35 and I'm thinking to <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Uh, but I'm thinking because there's no travel expense in my near future here, I'm thinking to just, uh, buy a new uh, computer and I was thinking to go with the System76 Thelio or Thelio and because they just released the new AMD base with PCIe 4 version and it's so good it's very <laughs> fast and I did a, a test configuration the other day it's gonna probably be around three thousand dollars but is a what is that? Is a, a twelve core? No, it's a something like in like stupid amount of cores and a stupid amount of threads, mm-hmm. and compiles at the speed of light. And I'm I'm very I'm trying to find reasons not to buy it, but it's hard because mm, right now oh, I, mean, I you could spend fifty three thousand on a Mac Pro, right? Oh yeah, sure, definitely. <laughs> and have the same performance of the computer that I have right now and be stuck yeah. with this proprietary 
thing but uh no my uh my thing is that right now i'm using especially the desktop i'm using my custom computer that i built two or three years ago and i have mm -hmm. an i7 7700 which is four cores eight threads and compiles thunderbird like from scratch it takes around half an hour to compile it Wow. After it compiled the first time, whenever I need to update something and I change, it takes uh, 10 to 15 seconds, which is fine. Okay. The problem is yeah. that every day uh, there's a new batch of updates, a new rework of Firefox, which Thunderbird is based on Firefox. So every day there's a new rebuild. So my, mm -hmm. my morning routine is wake up, uh, turn on the computer, download <laughs> the new code, push, mm -hmm. compile, and go out for a walk with the dog. <laughs> right, and, yeah. Yeah, sometimes if I come back and there was an issue in the building process or there was a bug and it didn't finish compiling, then I basically waste another hour in the morning waiting for mm -hmm. it to finish to compile before I can start working. Uh, instead, with the new AMD Ryzen, uh, the third generation, the Ryzen 9 3950X, I will have 16 cores and 32 threads. Wow. And I have a colleague that has it and compiles Thunderbird in six minutes, which is... Wow, that's a huge improvement. Brutal, yeah. I'm just <laughs> itching to buy it. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. It's, it's the budget for a year of travel. So yeah, it's fine. Yeah, let's, exactly. Let's do it. But yeah, if I get it, I'm going to do like a full review of everything. I'm going to dismantle it and just want to understand everything what they did inside um, yeah i mean that's what's great about system 76 right is you can always upgrade it later you're not stuck with what they give you yeah exactly and uh it's fully open source they have all the schematics are open source so i can also potentially 3d print the things that i need if i want to extend <laughs> or changes which i'm considering it but yeah so that's that that's something and it's going to happen probably next couple of weeks <laughs> we'll get back to that if i if I do that, um, that's going to be insane. Well, that's exciting. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I remember you were building a custom project uh, related mm -hmm. to WordPress, the WPSUI or the customizer UI, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How's it going with yeah, that? Yeah, so I started building it, uh, I guess, late last summer or early fall. Um, I got, like, the basic idea working, and... Um, few things happened, which stopped the project. Yeah. Um, got super busy with, uh, like some client work. Um, we were kind of in the process of buying a house and trying to sell our house in San Antonio. Mm. And I was trying to work extra to make enough money to make sure we could do everything and buy the house and everything. So I got busy with that. And then also I wanted to release like an early version to the WordPress plugin directory. So people didn't have to like go and download the package and yeah. upload it to their WordPress site. And, and I just got so discouraged by like the comments I was getting back from the WordPress, um, I guess, admins or whatever you call them. The reviewers um, or something. Yeah, yeah. Because so I'm, I, I modeled the plugin based off your your plugin series using yeah. object oriented programming with uh, namespaces and everything. Mm -hmm. And they're saying things like, "Well, this class name is not unique," and I'm like, "Well, it's namespaced," and um, you know things like that that were just kind of going back and forth and you know, just kind of the, the wording that they put into their emails to me was just very discouraging. And I was just like, screw this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I remember that they didn't like the, the fact that you were using composer as well. Right. You, they don't yes. accept it. Yeah. Which I, I mean, yeah, that makes sense that it does need to be kind of bundled up, but I just yeah. thought like for the review, like, can you at least tell me if the code is fine? Yeah. Um, yeah, so more recently, I, I got some more free time and I started working on it again. I did a big major refactor and I think it's going to make things a lot easier. Mm. Some of the requests that I have going forward from our number one fan, Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Um, he's done a lot of testing on it and uh, he really nice. enjoys it. So um, I'm getting really close to the version 1.0 release. I've got a couple more issues to work out before that's ready. And then We'll see what WordPress says about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were the major changes that you had to go through to make it uh, WordPress compliant? <laughs> uh, well, one of the things was I wasn't properly sanitizing input. Okay. Um, so that that was, you know, I, I do need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've already taken care of that. Um, 
And then I know one of the things was like the class names and stuff. So I did make the namespaces more unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I, this starts with like Perco customizer instead of WPCUI. Yeah. Um, so I've done some things like that and we'll see what they get, I get back this time. If they complain about class names again, I, I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, it's something that I always struggle with WordPress. Like the underlying architecture is very PHP four oriented, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. it's it's kind of a struggle because I I understand that you keep it backward compatible with pretty much anything uh, with version like three or something, but mm-hmm. it's um it, it's way too much work to achieve something that then we can achieve for less time with modern technologies and not even that yeah. modern. Like we, if you, if WordPress was able to enable composer out of the box or having a, a, a general composer sitting on top outside mm-hmm. the overall themes and, and plugins, we can use the same composer to download packages and, 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 and manage external packages that would be, would have been extremely easy to implement and also having one single composer that manages everything that means you don't have problem with unique namespaces because right now if you're using old functions of course it's not object-oriented programming you just have to use unique functions name to prevent duplications or using the same Mm -hmm. name which is it's just tedious most of the times it's it's very annoying it really is yeah. Yeah, but that's WordPress. <laughs> yeah, that's that's WordPress. Um yeah, it's and the the last two or three releases of WordPress were only hundred percent focused on Gutenberg, on that yeah fucking editor. Nothing else changed. They completely forgot about everything else. No updates on widgets, no updates on the Walker Nav class, no updates on the settings API, nothing. Just the fucking <laughs> The fucking Gutenberg, which is very, very strange. It seems like they're yeah. more they're trying to appeal more to regular users that they need to use the website as it is. You just install WordPress, you use it and that's it. Then updating the underlying architecture to enable developers to do more, mm-hmm. which is kinda strange. Yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, hopefully, I'll get it released in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, or at least submitted in the next couple of weeks. I don't know how long <laughs> it'll take them to review it. Um, and then, depending on how well it does, I do have some uh, additional things that are going to go into this plugin uh, to really make it really useful. Um, but I do want to do like a pro version. Mm. So, in the free one that you would download from the plugin store, it will include all the customizer uh, uh, controls that you can do through WordPress standard. Like if you look at the codex and you want to do a a color control, it'll have that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have some ideas for more complex controls that I want to add to like a pro version. Um, So hopefully we'll see a pro version come out sometime later this year and it'll be a a fun project. Yeah, no, looking forward to that. Awesome. Okay, let's jump on to the news because we went through all our personal highlights. Um, the first news you you put these here. Do you wanna do you wanna take mm-hmm. it? Um, so in Tailwind one point four, do you use Tailwind at all anymore? Uh, yes, for personal projects and for my personal websites or whenever for Sabrina's mm-hmm. like my wife's website, I use Tailwind. I just love it so much. Yeah, it's 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 an awesome CSS framework, and yeah. they have now baked in purge CSS. Nice. So you can just kind of put in your config file, like what files, you know, where your HTML files are, or whatever files are going to contain. Tailwind classes, and when you build for production, it'll automatically strip out all the classes that you aren't using in your final CSS file. That's so um, good. So it makes it so much smaller because Tailwind, and when you just run your Tailwind config, it creates a massive CSS file, mm-hmm. and you're not going to use all the colors, all the font sizes, yeah. and you know. So this uh, makes it a lot easier than having to install Perch CSS and set it up yourself. You just mm-hmm. Set it up in your Tailwind config and run your production build, and away you go. Yeah, yeah. I was struggling with this, especially with the uh, Vue.js frontend, because um, all the class, like the way the Perch CSS works, it just goes through your statically generated files or all the files that you have in your project, 
and detects mm -hmm. which classes you're not using and deletes them. But if those classes are dynamically generated via JavaScript in Vue.js, and you don't have a static HTML or PHP file with uh, those classes written, Perch CSS just deletes them. So I was I was having some some very annoying issues, and at the end. What I was doing, basically, I was uh, doing a global research with my code editor for all the classes that I had. And if I didn't <laughs> use one, I was commenting in the config file, the mm. uh, margin 10 or the, I don't know, medium or large uh, media queries. Just I was manually checking what Perch CSS <laughs> needed to do. Uh, yeah, tedious as hell. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, th th this is great. Did you try it already? Uh, I'm about to. I'm I'm working on um, building my. I'm rebuilding my website as a, a static Angular uh, mm -hmm. spa, um, and I'm using Tailwind. I think I'm still on 1.3, so I do plan to upgrade once I'm fully done and and run through this and see how it works, and mm -hmm. uh, I'll report back. Nice. Yeah, it seems that it will be able to detect also classes inside. JavaScript generated files like JSX templates and Vue.js templates, which was one of the major point, major pain points of yeah using Perch CSS in through another external npm package or even inside Laravel Mix. I was having the same issues with Laravel mm -hmm. Mix. It wasn't able to detect classes dynamically used inside JavaScript, so which is great. Right. Yeah. Uh, related to Tailwind, uh, uh, they're hiring which is unbelievable. I still remember like two or three years ago when Adam, the creator of Tailwind, just released the first like beta version. I was like, oh, this mm -hmm. is a personal project that I was thinking to do. Uh, and it, it evolved so much and so fast. And now it's a fully <laughs> formed company. And yeah. <laughs> they're hiring full times and they do a lot of awesome things. They... Um, produce commercial products with Tailwind UI. They release a book called Refactoring UI, which is very, very good. And now they're looking for a full stack developer. So if you're a full stack developer that worked with React or Vue.js and knows a little bit of Laravel and you love beautiful UI, just apply. They pay a lot of money. <laughs> it's, they do. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I think it was like four weeks off a year as well. So yeah. it's good benefits. Uh, I think that they were preferring Eastern Standard Time or at least some amount of overlap with like Adam because he's on Eastern Standard. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I think if you are like in Europe and you're okay with working like really early in the morning, yeah, <laughs> it might be fine. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's going to be a, an awesome position for whoever gets it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very happy for him and for, for the team because they're really great guys and they've been building these open source projects and releasing them for free for everyone to use. And mm -hmm. they really deserve this. It's it's very good. Moving on, following a crazy story that we, we both saw. It's not really a story. It's something that happened on Twitter. Oh, Twitter. So amusing. But uh, so this morning... I saw a tweet by uh, Evan Yu that was answering to a guy, and the tweet was um, simply, I read, how about you say something publicly? I was curious about this, this tweet, so I started <laughs> reading the full thread, and basically the gist of it is that this guy, Jamie Kyle, uh, started um, tweeting about Vue.js being accused of stealing code, literally like copy-pasting code from other frameworks or other applications and in applying them into Vue.js. And he also shares some screenshots of private conversation of people telling them, yeah, I know Evan personally, he stole these and there was canceled that was erased there was a blank space to not share the name of all the things that he allegedly stole he just literally copy paste my code from this section to this other section blah blah and evan answers like can you can you tell me what those sections are can you give me the examples i'm 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 ready to defend myself and to defend the work that we did and i'm ready to do it publicly and this guy 
deleted hits <laughs> all the tweets yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of crazy it's like you know we all i'm sure we all take ideas from each other right yeah. i mean laravel took a lot of ideas from uh net and mm-hmm. uh, c sharp blade and things like that i mean it's just you know we're all just trying to take something and make it better and and i remember when i first started learning Vue, um it was kind of when i was still working on angular js hadn't switched to angular like two plus yeah um and Evan Yu was a Google developer on the AngularJS team. Yeah. And when they switched to version two, he didn't like the direction it was going. And he, I remember reading him saying that he built Vue.js to be what he wanted Angular to kind of become. Yeah. Uh, so to go from like that to like just <laughs> copying and pasting code from other projects, it just seems like a, a big leap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it speaks a lot the fact that this guy completely deleted all the tweets. Uh, I was like, yeah. when I was reading it this morning, I literally thought like, oh, I need to take screenshots <laughs> because these things will go away. And in fact, a few minutes later, he deleted everything. And mm. I, I love the response of Evan. That was like very candid and very open. It's just if you have something, just tell me what it is and we can discuss right. it. And this guy was like, no, let's do it privately. And he was like, no, you accused me publicly. Let's continue talking publicly. <laughs> let's let's highlight all the things that you think I stole. And then it just went to shit. <laughs> yeah, and Evan also had a lot of proof of things like, I mean, you can look here in this version, I have commits on things mm-hmm. that, you know, the other product didn't have for a whole year. Yeah. So, you know, it's like impossible to copy and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Good old Twitter fights. Yeah. It's... Next topic we have is about GitHub code spaces. Oh, um, I have no idea out... what that is. So it's pretty cool. GitHub recently had like a, a virtual conference and um, I didn't take part, but I did see this kind of getting thrown all over Twitter. And mm. um, it's basically like a virtual cloud-based development environment. Mm. So you can go to a GitHub repository and let's say it's a, a Vue.js repository, and you can open it up in an online editor that is, I believe it's powered by VS Code. It's like an online VS Code version, kind of like Code Sandbox. Um, But you can basically code on this open source repository, and you can contribute without ever having to download the code, get Node.js set up, get anything set up. So, I mean, essentially, you know, if it's as good as they're saying it's going to be, you could just go buy a Chromebook and go contribute to open source projects on github without needing anything except a web browser yeah it's like cloud nine seems uh, yeah it was yeah bought. i think <laughs> yeah like aws and they didn't really do anything with yeah it. <laughs> beautiful um i did like cloud nine back in the day the editor you know it, it had some problems the keyboard yeah. shortcuts were really weird to work with and i don't know how many times i hit f5 and refresh the page yeah um so you know using vs code in the browser if it's like code sandbox but really built in with github and Mm. um it'll be interesting to see how it works and you know they're they have like an early access right now so i imagine this is going to be a paid service yeah probably Um, you know i imagine it's going to require cloud functions and cloud computers so Mm -hmm. um it'll be really interesting to see if it's uh if it's really good or if it's just going to be another one of these just online ids yeah something for quick peer programming like remote peer programming but Mm -hmm. i wonder if and it doesn't seem to say here but i wonder if they will implement something like because the good thing about cloud nine especially for wordpress projects was the ability to compile in the cloud and see the actual website up and running in the cloud so you didn't need Mm -hmm. to download or compile build anything You, you were able to just do it entirely on your web browser I wonder if these will do the same at some point or is just going to be edit your Git repository without downloading it. Yeah, I imagine that they'll be able to run it, um, you know, because like uh, Code Sandbox or I think Stack Blitz, they can, they have like dependencies, like it runs yeah. like an NPM install and, and it loads the app. So mm-hmm. I imagine it'll do something like that. I, I hope that they do server-side technologies. Um, <sighs> it'd be awesome if you could run wordpress on on github and yeah edit your theme or your plugin or whatever right there and but uh yeah we'll see yeah well it will happen for sure because let's just wait for microsoft to buy or purchase composer <laughs> and 
packagist yeah. and WordPress, and then we're we're good because Microsoft bought uh, GitHub and then NPM, and now they're releasing these. So, yay! <laughs> it's gonna be one single giant thing handling everything <laughs> together. So, would you trust these? As a as a I don't know, you're working on a big project, and would you? I guess it's. I guess it's normal. Like we already have all our entire code repository on the cloud in the cloud, so we're not mm-hmm. worried about losing anything if we lose or destroy our computer. But would you trust working directly in the cloud, not having anything local? Uh that's that's a good question because I do like that. You know, one of the great things about Git is that you have your own version of the repository yeah. on your machine. Um, so I can commit, if I lose internet connection, I, I can still commit locally. And then mm-hmm. when I'm back online, I can push things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I would fully trust this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the time when I'm working, I'm on my desktop at home. So this may make it so that like, oh, the next time I need to buy a laptop, I don't have to spend money on a really good laptop. I can just buy something cheap that I can yeah. use. And when traveling, I don't have to have the power to run all these things locally. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know if I would fully trust it. I mean, that, that is a really good point about not having it on your local machine at all. Yeah, and also, and I know that highlights the fact that I'm a really bad developer, but sometimes I mess things up so much that my solution <laughs> is delete the repository and clone it again. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I don't know. I would, I guess that's yeah if you you really need to know git properly in order to revert very bad changes or bad commits that you do that maybe break something but we'll see it's a it's an interesting project it's it's very interesting that i guess it's the trend everything it's it's going online everything it's a web app now there's no more native things because it's not necessary everything it's online we're constantly connected so it's good (laughs) Um, speaking about being online and constantly connected, I don't know if it's really related, but, uh, do you know BuddyWorks? Have you ever used BuddyWorks? I've heard of it, but I've never worked with it. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I use it for my personal project. I also used it, uh, when I was working at Ritual. Uh, BuddyWorks is these, uh, continuous deployment, um platform uh, which has a free tier which is amazing basically you set up your pipeline when you push the code to your git or gitlab repository github bitbucket it connects to everything it just runs your pipeline and deploys for mm-hmm. you via ssh or sftp whatever you want to do it it's it's very handy uh the people behind that they just released these repmen which is repman.io it's a private php uh, package repository manager is basically packagist which all where all the composer packages are there so when you run composer install blah, blah blah package that package comes comes from packagist but sometimes packages is slow as hell i had so many <laughs> issues sometimes especially when downloading laravel was like oh you needed to do it two or three times for it to actually work and if you're yeah. through a vpn you have a million different issues and if you want a private package to manage but also allow your contributors or collaborators or colleagues to download it through composer without giving them access to your private repository you weren't able to do it so this repman kind of solves all the problems it's it's a it's basically a cdn that sits in between all your sources you can have a mm-hmm. private package a php package private in your github repository or one uh, public in packages or somewhere else even locally store on your server in your office and this repman behaves like you were downloading directly from uh, packages from composer install blah blah blah, whatever so uh, they say it speeds up downloads from packages by 80 to 90 percent thanks to the CDN, which is impressive as hell. And also, yeah, and also allows you to 
set up tokens, access tokens through API. Mm-hmm. So you can give temporary access to that specific private package to whoever you want. You have a dashboard that tells you how many times was downloaded, who downloaded it, and you can revoke permissions if you don't want it anymore. You can also self-host this thing, and they release it completely for free. And you can just download it, it's open source, and it's it's very crazy. It's something that it's it's so cool. And I'm very itching to use it for some project. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really cool, especially if you're if you build a lot of PHP software and you have your own packages that you want to just kind of self-host for all of your projects. Mm-hmm. Um, just have your own version and you can just pull them down whenever you need them on a new project. Yeah, exactly. And we're already good to go when Microsoft decides to buy packages <laughs> and composer with people. Yeah. We already have an alternative that you can self-host your server and be free <laughs> yeah, from this monolith that is buying everything. I think we are at the end of the news. As usual, yeah. uh, unfortunately for these, these weird times, there are not many web technology-related news. It's kind of hard to find something newsworthy but hey we found some good topics here um so at the end before concluding this beautiful episode we wanted to recommend a couple of things for you to enjoy uh when you're home uh you i saw you put here a couple of uh free conferences what are those yeah so microsoft build is um a huge conference every year um i've never been able to attend but it's one of those that it's kind of like on my radar is one year i'm going to go to build Uh, This year, they've made it completely free. It's going to be May 19th and 20th, and registration is still open. So you can go sign up for free, watch these uh, conference talks. Uh, I believe there's lots lots of different tracks that you can uh, join and kind of watch. So yeah, I'm I'm amazed that they're doing it completely for free. Yeah. uh, Because I'm sure that streaming to the thousands of people that are going to tune into this is going to be quite a bit of cost, but... I guess they'll just have Azure pay for it. <laughs> yeah, let's see if Azure Azure can can handle that and not crash it. Yeah. And then on May 28th, we also have DockerCon, which oh. is going to be completely free. Um, so I, I haven't really done much with Docker. I've started playing around with it. Mm-hmm. I've just not had a, a need for it yet. Yeah. Um, but this will be a great way to learn about it and uh, just sit back, eat your snacks, yeah. watch technology. Oh, a question related to this topic also for the uh, um, Angular conference that you saw virtually. What was the quality of the speakers, especially their microphone? Um, I think the, the mic problem, like the speakers that I spoke, they all had, seemed to have pretty good setups. They had good mm-hmm. microphones. Um, the problem that they had was that the live stream kept going down. Mm. Um, and there's a joke you may have seen on Twitter if you follow any angular people that um about pizza breaking the stream (laughs) so one of the first talks on the first day the speaker wanted to see what the latency was between what he was saying and the chat responding Uh which uh you know doing youtube streams there's always like a 20 second delay it's awful exactly um so he said so i want to check the the delay so i want everybody to type in chat pizza and <laughs> as soon as the chat, like having, you know, the 1200 people or so that were watching it all typing pizza at the same time, that for whatever reason broke the stream. Oh my God. And <laughs> so we did find that like, you know, as they were going through, if something really exciting happened and people started talking all of a sudden in the chat, that it would break the stream and they'd have to like restart everything. And oh. um, so other than that, I thought the, the video quality and microphone quality was fine, but for whatever reason, the chat was <laughs> breaking the stream service. Yeah, that's one of the, the the main things that I have against this virtual conference, especially when they're open to everyone for like writing chats. Um, I kind of prefer when, for example, Apple does the live stream of the event. You just watch mm-hmm. it; it's there and it it works. You're not interacting because you're just you're just watching there. But yeah, I guess if it's a conference, you need to have a Q and A session, which is kind of important, especially if you're paying. But yeah, it's um, 
that always concerns me. Uh, it's already kind of tiring and challenging to keep your attention span always up to 100% when attending these online conferences. And if the yeah. audio and video quality is not great and the streams ends abruptly and then they start it again, it gets very tiring and challenging. It does, yeah. yeah. And there were a couple of times where the speakers didn't know that the stream was out. <laughs> Fuck. And they just... <laughs> They let them continue and they just they said that like oh the video recording still worked but the stream didn't so if you want to watch it you'll have to watch it later but then the speakers that it happened to wouldn't have any questions because nobody knew what they were talking about yeah exactly oh my god yeah this is it's kind of uh, that sounds bad uh well we'll see hopefully because everyone is going to do this to do these conferences online we will figure it out we'll figure a better I don't know, technology, a better workflow to handle this. It's going to get better. We'll yeah. see. Uh, my recommendation, because I'm trying to not stay at the computer all the time, even for <laughs> personal things, I started reading a massive book, which is it, it's, it's an absolute unit. It's like uh, 1,300 pages. It's called The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. It's kind of an old book. It's it's not it's not very recent, but it's it's fantasy at its peak, and it's 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 beautiful. Um, I'm not gonna talk about anything here. I don't want to give any spoilers, but <laughs> it's it's a first of a, a quadrilogy. If you call do you call it quadrilogy or? Uh, I guess you could call that. <laughs> yeah, because it, when it's five, it's a pentalogy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, Latin, beautiful Latin. Uh, but yeah, it's the first of four books, and they're all massive books. So if you have no idea how to spend your time, just grab one of the book, and it's going to take you a month to read it if you read it every day. But it's okay. it's beautiful. It's very very well written. It flows. I was expecting, because it's such a massive book, I was expecting it to be heavy and hard to follow. Instead, yeah. it just it flows naturally. It's very, very good. Uh, highly well, It's been recommend. a while since I've read something that was not technical, so yeah, I will put it on my list to try to get some time to do something that's, you know, just for fun and not <laughs> trying to learn something. Yeah, man, you got to diversify your craft. Otherwise, yes. you're going to get stuck at the same things. Yeah, no, it's 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 called the pandemic brain when you don't understand anymore <laughs> what you're doing and everything blends together into one single thing. All right, uh, we are at the end of our beautiful episode. Hopefully, we're not going to wait another year to do another one. This was episode 44, by the way. At the end of this video, where can people find you, Chris? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at Chris J. Perko. Um, you can find me on YouTube, even though I haven't posted in like a year. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, and you can check my blog that I also haven't written in, in almost a year at uh, chrisperko.net. And you can find me on Twitter as well, Alicad, or you can find me on YouTube. If you're watching or listening these this podcast episode, you probably already know where to find us. So. It's fine. Uh, as usual, uh, until the next video, next tutorial, whatever, happy coding, happy designing, you know, just be happy and, and try to relax because we need a little bit of relaxing time. Thank you so much, guys, and we talk to you in the next one. Yep. Thank you. Happy 2020. <laughs> Beautiful year <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs>